we have seen a lot of people, we have seen a lot of stories, we've covered a lot of ground geographically through the book of Acts, and uh, I don't know about you, but it's made me hungry to get into the Bible more and to know what uh, the stories of the Bible are, are about. Um, it is the story of God sparking a movement that would change the world, and it did it then, and it's doing it today, and that's kind of been the whole all-encompassing point of this entire series. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Uh, it's about two-thirds of the way back through your Bible, and so if you've got a Bible today, uh, you can grab it, you can look at it. We're actually going to kind of be skimming through a lot of stuff. Where We've read like chapters and chapters over the last seven weeks. Uh, this week, we're actually just reading a few little verses, but you can grab it and pull it out, but I hope that you become hungry to learn more and that you want to get into it more. Uh, if you're just jumping in today and you haven't caught any of this series so far, uh, let me give you a little bit of a, uh, just a, a flash forward into the whole, the whole series of the flash rewind and then we'll fast forward. I don't know. We use DVDs now, so that terminology doesn't even make sense. Um, rewind. Um, be kind. Rewind. Remember those little things? My grandma had one. It was like this tape rewinder and you put it in there. It was like, so some of you are old enough to remember. I don't know. Um, I'm not that old at all. Uh, so just to catch us up, though, uh, if you haven't caught any of this series, uh, hit up um, iTunes and go to the podcast and search for Venture Church. You can click on our logo there or Venture uh, website, jointheventure.com. But up here on the front of the stage, uh, we've got these words because the book of Acts has 28 chapters in it, and it's a lot to study in a short amount of time. And so what we wanted to do is have some focus words that would help us to remember each of the parts that we studied. And so we're going to kind of have like a little pop quiz on that, but you can totally cheat because the words are down here in front of you. Uh, and review. Review, review, review where we have been over the last seven weeks. The first week, our word was what? Wait. And the idea was this. Jesus had just resurrected from the dead. And he goes to his disciples and he says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that I'm going to send to you. And so they wait. And in the second week, our word was? Helper, that gift came, the Holy Spirit came, and it turns out the Holy Spirit is the helper. And one of his first big tasks in the church was to help the disciples jumpstart the church as God sparked a movement. And so that was helper, and the Holy Spirit is still alive and well today and working in people's lives, and that's what we talked about. Week three was? Okay, y'all got to join a little bit better than that. Wake up. Week three was? It's right here. It's in English. Can you see it? Right here. Let's try it again. Week three was? There it is. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Venture Church. Boldness. We saw this early group of believers have to find immense courage and, and bravery as they boldly face some opposition. And we talked about how we can be bold in our own life. And the fourth week was, say it loud, what? Persecution. Now, this was an interesting twist in the series because what we find is that this happy-go-lucky, easy-going group with the Holy Spirit helping them faces some serious opposition. And we see them being persecuted, and we see this guy, Stephen, who was actually killed for his faith. And that week, we actually talked about persecution of Christians around the world. And that was kind of a heavy week, wasn't it? But it was real, and it helps us to remember that this faith thing that we do is not just a social club. It's a spiritual battle that we're in, and persecution is real. But take heart, because in week five, we learned about what? What was the next word? Yeah, say it again. What was the last word? Next word? Transformation. We see this one person who was a persecutor of the church be transformed after he meets Jesus. You remember that? His name is Paul. And we see him go from being a person who is killing people for their faith in Jesus to someone who becomes the greatest Christian missionary to ever live. Because what happens when you meet Jesus is he transforms you. 
Week six was Bacon Sunday. You might remember Bacon Sunday. Woo, yeah, that's a noise for that one. That's, people love some bacon. If you miss Bacon Sunday, well, maybe we'll do it again just because, like, why not? It's Bacon Sunday, but we had a point behind it. And what we were talking about that week, do you remember the word for that week? Week six was what? Inclusion down here inclusion and it was the whole idea that God had moved beyond just the Jewish uh, nation into the Gentile world and they were all being included into the promise of, of Jesus and then last week the word was what accessible. accessible because our goal and we saw Paul do it as he traveled all the way around the world almost 70,000 miles of walking and sailing on ships his goal was to find people show them that God is near and make that love accessible to them by meeting them where? Where they are. Meet people where they are. Show them that God is near and make God's love accessible to them. Man, eight weeks, two months of our life, that is a huge portion of our year. And as we get to the end of this book, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm a reader. I love to read. Uh, I, I, love, I read mostly science fiction and fantasy, but I also love a good historical book too. And I, I like to read broadly. But when I get to the end of a book, and I close the last cover, I, something happens, maybe it happens to you too, it's kind of like this emotional feeling, you're like, oh, it's over, you know, and you're kind of like, man, those, those characters, they're, they're gone, they're over, and the story, so what's, what happened next, right, you have that feeling, and then I do this thing often, I'll flip it over, and I'll look at the front cover, and, um, and I'll look at the, the picture on the front, and I'll, I'll, I'll be taken back to a moment, like, it was that day that I first started reading the book, and and I didn't know that character, and I didn't know that story. But now I look at the picture, and it, all, I'm like, and it makes sense now. It's like, oh. And I know the story, and I love the book, and I, and I find myself hungry for more. And I just want to find another book by this author, or maybe there's another book in this series. And at the very least, tomorrow or the next day, I'm going to recommend this book to somebody if I enjoyed it. Is anybody there with me on that? When we read a good story, uh, we really feel like the story has become personal to us. And when I close the book, I feel like I'm watching my best friend get onto an airplane and fly off, and I'm never going to see him again, right? Because you, it becomes personal. We really get invested in the book. Uh, no joke, no joke. One time, I was leading a Bible study, and uh, we were taking prayer requests for, you know, things we wanted to pray about. And we are going around the room taking prayer requests, and my wife was in the study, and she raises her hand, and she, she shares a prayer request about her really dear friend who had just had a heart attack. And uh, now, this was the first I'd heard of this. I was... A little bit worried, I mean, because I mean, it's my wife and we have pretty much all the same friends. I'm like, who, who was it? And then she was really embarrassed because she realized it wasn't a real person. It was actually a character in the book she was reading. Yeah, that's a true story. Yeah, let that sink in. True story. Um, and I asked her permission to tell that story, so I know I'm going to get lunch today. Um, but don't we get invested in the books we read and the stories? And maybe you're not a book reader, okay? But maybe you felt this way about a, a movie series or a television show. Like, did anybody invest in the ABC TV show Lost? Can I hear some noise for Lost? Whoop, whoop. Some of you were totally lost during that show, and that's, that was their goal. But it was a good show. Maybe you watched the, uh, the show 24 with Jack Bauer. Yeah, it was bad. How about uh, The Office? Yeah, these are good shows. We get, these, these shows don't just have fans. They have cult members, right? They have, people have tattoos of things from the show on their body, and you, there are people in the room right now like, yeah, that's me, totally. We get invested in these shows and we really love the story because we, we, get, we, we feel like we're part of the story. And as the story goes, we get to know the characters and their personalities. And what's really cool about these shows is uh, as the show plays on, we start to see that show happening in real life. I remember in high school, we watched Seinfeld. And, uh, and I remember in, in our little clique of friends, we would like identify each other by our Seinfeld character person. Like, 
Kramer, you know? And so maybe that was you. Now, if you invest in one of those shows, do you remember when that show ended? The, the last episode aired. It was kind of sad. Oh, man. It's, oh, no, come back. And not as a poorly made reboot, but like seriously, come back. Please, I felt that way this year, um, this past year when uh, Parks and Rec ended. Oh, I was like, yeah, Andy, Ron, little Sebastian. <laughs> Sorry if you didn't get that joke, but that was just for y'all that liked it. And the show's over. And there's this moment where you feel a sense of loss. And I want to, I told all those stories on purpose because I want to take us to this point. We feel that way because we feel invested in the story. We feel like we're part of the story. We feel like the story lives on through our own lives. And this week as we come to the end of this awesome book, the book of Acts, one of the most significant books in the Bible, maybe the most significant book in the Bible in terms of the church, we land there and I got to tell you something, not only do we feel like we're part of that story, we are. We are part of that story. Like that was chapter one of a story that's been going on for 2,000 years and our little startup church here in this elementary school is the continuation of when God sparks a movement and that sparks continuing to grow. And as we come to the end of the pages of the book of Acts and we kind of close the back cover and flip it over and look at the picture at the front and you remember back to when I didn't know the story, I didn't know the characters and now I do. I want us to be hungry to tell the story and to seek out more by the same author and to invite people to read the book because we are very much part of that story. The story of the church is not just a chronicle of some worldwide corporation, as a lot of people on the outside looking in might see it. It's, it's very much, very much more the stories of individuals whose lives are transformed when they meet Jesus. One person at a time. One person at a time. One person at a time. If you read along the book of Acts along with us, have you read it before? Isn't that what we see there? It's, it's one person being told about Jesus and the reaction and the response they have and then they tell someone else and then they tell someone else and then they tell someone else. And that's why today's word is testimony. Testimony. Testimony, I want to talk about this word for a minute because maybe that doesn't seem like an obvious word to you. Testimony is, is, a, is a deep word. A lot of words are just kind of like flippant and shallow and you can toss them off to the side. Testimony's got a lot of meat to it. Uh, the word testimony packs a lot of punch. It actually comes from the Greek word mar martyria. Uh, I think it's up here on the screen, martyria. Uh, and it will be. Uh, and it means a lot. Uh, it's a legal word that means evidence. Um, and so like if you go to court, you might have to testify in court, right? Well, what is that? Well, it's, it's a story that is being held up as evidence. It's your testimony. It is evidence. And that's why someone who is uh, giving a testimony is also then called a witness. Because in order for it to be evidence, you had to see it. You had to be there. You had to have some tangible proof that what you're saying even matters. Actually, the same word, martyria, also can be translated witness. And for years, Christians have used the word testimony to mean the story about what happened when I met Jesus. 
It's your story. It's the evidence of what went on when you encountered God and when your life was changed. It becomes the evidence. And that's also why Christians for generations have called telling people about Jesus, what? Witnessing. Witnessing. Because what you're doing is you're like, let me share the evidence. And so a lot of times we get into this stacking of details and information game and we're like, I feel like I have more information than this religion and more books than this thing. But really, that's never the way the church spread. It was always by people testifying, by them sharing their witness, by their testimony. When the story of your life comes into, the contact, comes into contact with the story of what God's doing in the world, your story is forever changed, and it becomes your testimony. It becomes the evidence of what God's doing in your life, and we've seen this over and over and over again in the last two months as we read through the book of Acts. Uh, we watched as the early church grew throughout the book of Acts, and we see people from all walks of life, all levels of faith, coming into contact with God's story and their story being transformed. That's what one of our words is, transformation, because that's something that happens over and over in the book of Acts. And some of the stories we didn't cover, and so like I said today, we're going to be kind of gliding through a bunch of them. I want to show you some of the ones we didn't cover, where the testimony, the transformation happened. Like in chapter 8, there was this Ethiopian man. He was so blown away by God's faithfulness. He'd been reading about the, uh, the, the, the prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. And when he saw that the faithfulness of God had come through, he was so blown away that immediately he called to his driver as they were riding in a chariot. And he said, stop, stop, stop. There's water over there. I need to be baptized. And he, he then turns around this Ethiopian man and he goes back to his home nation and becomes the first Christian to go into Africa, essentially the first African missionary. His story came into contact with God's story and his life was forever changed. And then the, the continent of Africa forever changed. That's what happens when God gets in your story. Or in chapter 16, the good news of Jesus reaches Europe for the first time. And so Paul comes into contact with this lady named Lydia. And Lydia is just out there and she's just doing some laundry with some ladies out in the water there. And then they start talking about Jesus. The next thing you know, she gives her life to Jesus. And she becomes the first convert in Europe and she begins to spread the word that way. But not long, just I think even a few days later, maybe a few weeks later, depending on how you read the story. In the same city, Paul comes into contact with this jailer, with this uh, Roman soldier who sees a miracle happen. It blows his mind. Paul teaches him the message of Jesus, and this Philippian jailer and his entire household decide to get baptized and follow Jesus. Boom, transformation. Transformation. Their story comes into contact with God's story, and they're forever changed. How about in chapter 18? We go to Corinth, which is just across the water from uh, Athens, where we were last week. And we're in the city of Corinth, and, and um, we meet a couple of people named Aquila and Priscilla and their buddy Apollos. And these people come into contact with Paul who starts teaching them all about Jesus and it blows their mind and it changes their life and they decide to devote their whole life to being basically missionaries just like Paul and living there in Corinth and their surrounding region and thousands of people become believers in Jesus simply because of their story. Or fast forward over to chapter 19. We go to the city of Ephesus which is all the way across the, uh, is it the Adriatic Sea? I can't remember, but across the larger body of water into what is modern day Turkey and they're in Ephesus. Well, while they're in, in, in Ephesus, Paul is there for about three years and he does a lot of ministry there and a lot of people come to faith and there could be thousands of stories told. But one of them that I really like is in chapter 19 where we meet this group of people who had been uh, doing black magic and having witchcraft in their life and really involved in some deep, uh, deep evil spiritual things. 
And Paul comes along and he begins to teach them about Jesus. And this message of truth and light and life and hope utterly transforms them. And listen to what these people do in Ephesus. This is a crazy, crazy story. It says they go back home and they get all of their scroll, scrolls and their contraband of, uh, of witchcraft and voodoo and evil things that they have been using to worship these evil spirits, bring them down into kind of the town square, and they burn it all. Now, that might sound like nothing, no big deal. We've had bonfires in our lives before, right? Maybe they roasted marshmallows. No, you need to understand this. The text says that what they burned was a value of over 50,000 drachmas. How many drachmas do you make a year? You don't have a clue. I don't either. A drachma, if you read and look it up, a drachma is a day's wage. They burned 50,000 days' wages worth of stuff. And you do some quick math. Uh, a drachma is about a day's wage. Uh, let's say someone works an average of 300 days. This is the first century. 300 days a year for about 30 years, which is probably a little generous in the first century. But about 300 days a year for 30 years. When you do the math, burning all of that contraband is about five entire lifetimes of life earnings. What would possess a group of people to destroy all of that? In fact, another question has been asked, like why wouldn't those people have just sold that stuff and given it to the poor or taken care of their church needs or whatever? Like why wouldn't they have done that? I love what uh, one of my favorite scholars, Dr. Mark Moore, says about it. He says there's a spiritual principle at play here. One does not advance the church by profiting on paganism. These books were evil and needed to be destroyed. What happened to these people? Their story came into the contact of Jesus' story, and their lives were changed forever. And to this day, in all of those cities that I just named, there are still faithful Christians. Generations, 2,000 years later, testimony. As Paul and his companions came teaching and living alongside these people, they allowed those people to see the power of God. And that power transformed them. And I'm only going to read one verse from the book of Acts today. I told you we've read paragraphs and chapters on some weeks. This is one verse, and it's in Acts chapter 20, 19, Acts chapter 19, and verse 20. Uh, you can look it up in your Bible, but it's also in the screen behind me here. It says, And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. In what way? I think. In the way of people just seeing the power of Jesus interacting with the stories of people's lives. Testimony. That's how it spread then. That's how it continues to spread today. I love how the Apostle John, another leader of the early church, he opens up a letter that we have in the Bible today. We call it 1 John now. But in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, listen to what he says. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and we've touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. And then he goes on to tell them about Jesus. He said, I'm not going to tell you what I heard a rumor about. I'm not going to tell you what I hope to be true. I'm going to tell you about what I've heard and what I've seen with my own eyes and what I've touched with my hands. This is my evidence. I was there. I saw it. It's changed my life. Testimony. The Bible writers were not con men. They weren't getting rich off of book endorsements. These are people who gave their entire life, all of the apostles giving their life for their faith. Why? Because it changed them. It made a difference in them. And their life became the testimony of that, the evidence of that. I mean, we've seen what it did in Peter's life. That's what we talked about on the week of trans uh, 
Paul's life. That's what we talked about the week of transformation. But there are so many other examples that we can read about. For example, the life of the guy Peter. Peter wasn't always the great leader of the first church, which is where we saw him in the book of Acts. We studied him for like five weeks. He had been changed from a hot-headed, uneducated fisherman to a patient, discerning, well-respected leader, the first great leader of the church. And then you look at some other guys, James and John. They were some of the other disciples who followed Jesus. These guys were, had a reputation for being troublemakers. Their nickname was Thun, sons of thunder, okay? And even with Jesus, Jesus was constantly having to rein them in. Guys, no, no, no. We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna call down fire on these people. No, we're not gonna do that. They were transformed from that into wise and thoughtful missionaries. How about Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. He was a despised liar, a known cheat. And if you know anything about Roman tax collectors in first century Palestine, which I've talked about several times on Sunday morning here, they were hated by their fellow countrymen. But he was transformed into an honest man with a great reputation. And he also got the privilege of writing the book that bears his name, Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament that tells the story of Jesus' life. When our story comes into contact with God's story, we're changed, we're transformed, and we can spread that story by simply telling it. It's our testimony, it's my evidence. Possibly uh, the most famous song of the last 200 years uh, was written by a guy named John Newton. Uh, it's the song, Amazing Grace. You know that song? You didn't have to grow up in church to know the song, Amazing Grace. Carrie Underwood's singing on the radio right now, okay? Um, it's, it's a popular song, it's a famous song. Let me tell you the story behind that song. It's the short version, but basically you got this guy, John Newton. He lived in the 1700s. He was a British guy, and he was involved in the African slave trade, which in itself obviously is inexcusable, inhumane, disgusting business to be in at all. But this is a guy who rode on the boats. He went to Africa. He saw people dragged away from their homes and villages, put on the ships, the terrible conditions. We all learned about it in history class, right? It was, it was heinous. It was terrible. And this guy was one of the guys on the boats making sure that the, everyone stayed where they were supposed to be and, and he kept the way the things that were expected to be. When you look at a guy whose life was like that, you wonder, like, how do you live with yourself? Now, by his own uh, testimony of his own life, he says that uh, he wasn't a religious person. He really didn't care much about what God had to say about his life. But one day he had a conversion experience. Something happened. I won't even get into the whole story. But basically, he decides, I got to be a Christian. So he starts to read the Bible, he starts to worship Jesus, and he is utterly transformed. Let me tell you about the life now of John Newton after the fact. He begins to learn more and more about Jesus, so he quits his job in the trade, the, trade, uh, the African slave trade, and then he decides he's going to go to school to become a pastor. And not only that, he decides, I am going to become an abolitionist. I want to rid the world of slavery. This is ridiculous, this is inhumane, this is not how we treat people. He becomes one of the leading abolitionists in England, and, he, and he, he, along with other people, lead to the emancipation of slaves in England. And he writes this song that now that you know the background means so much more. If you've heard the song Amazing Grace, you've sung it, but it was originally written as a poem that he just wanted to share with his church. Check out the words here on the screen. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. Listen to this last part. I once was lost, 
But now, I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. This guy's not trying to sell CDs or win a Grammy. He's sharing his testimony. This is who I was before Jesus, a wretch, blind. But now I'm found and I can see. So I wonder, what's your story? What's going on in your life? Normally you can find a moment in every person who started to follow Jesus, this moment, this point where they can say, that is the point where things changed. I once was blank, but now I'm blank. And every single list is going to look different in this room. Sharing your testimony, what God is doing with your life is possibly the most powerful thing that you could do to help someone understand God's love. Because they know you. They trust you. They don't know your preacher. They don't trust me. (laughs) They don't trust the books that you're reading. They know you. They trust you. Tell me what this has done for you. I think we need to do more of that. And so what I want to do is just share three kind of principles or steps or ideas that we can employ in our own lives as we take what God has done with our life and we try to share it with others. And and it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward, but maybe you haven't thought about it like this. Here's the first little step I would encourage us all to make. First, we need to let God have our story. Let God have your story. When you meet people who have given their life to Jesus, there's always a moment, a time, a period of time, maybe an exact second where they said, things have got to change. Okay, I get it. I can't do this by myself, God. I got to change. Take me as I am. I'm yours. God can do so much more with you when you quit trying to be in charge. Have you let God have your story? I sat right here in this room with two men. uh, It's been a month or so ago. And I love to see it because both of them, I don't share any names, but um, you'll know who you are. Um, And it's crazy. Both of these men are people who had dealt with drug addiction. And they, they were sitting there, and one of them was just on the beginning of his quest to be free of drug addiction. Another of them is about two years in, because about two years ago, he decided to live for Jesus. And I love the moment that they shared, because this one person, the first person, was just heartbroken, like, I don't know if I can do this, but I want to. I've got to do this. i got to do it for my family. I want to live for God. And I want to tell you what the second person said. He said, man, I've tried everything But the day I finally decided to let Jesus be my main focus is the day that I finally started to make progress. He didn't send him to a self-help book or a website or counseling and all those things are good. But what did he do? He told his story. And he said, it began when I let God have my story. Maybe that's where you are today. You're still kind of hung up, like you still want to drive the ship Can I tell you, from my personal experience, I've tried to drive the ship. And every time I do, I run it into a shoal somewhere. I'm not a very good pilot. I've tried everything. I've tried everything to rule and control my life. But God's like, stop. I didn't design you for that. I designed you to worship me. Let me have your story. I can do so much more with it with it than you can. And that's what testimony is. It's the evidence of me giving my story to God. So that's the first thing. Give God your story. If you haven't done that today, 
Maybe today's the first time that you've been to church, and, and maybe the first part of your story would be like, dude, one time I came to church, and they were meeting in this school, and the guy said something about Jesus, and that's the first time I ever really thought about it. And maybe your story starts today. Give God your story. Here's the second thing. Tell God's story by telling your story. A lot of times we get hung up on the details. Like you sit with your friend at work, and you're like, they're real smart, and we have different opinions about science. And I don't know if I could really hold my own with them. I'm not picking on you. I'm saying that's something that I hear all the time, and I think a lot. You know what? Like, you can argue all the things that you disagree about, but nobody can argue with you about your story. You can just sit and like, look, you know what? You're right. I don't know all the answers. I haven't read all the books. There's stuff that I'm still confused about. But God's changed my life. How do you want to tell God's story? He gives us permission. Tell your story. Tell your story. And that's how you can tell God's story. That's where it begins. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was a drug addict, but now I've been clean for 5, 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 years. Wow. How'd you do that? I met Jesus. I once was in a terrible marriage. And there's a lot of different tracks that that little story can take. But then I found Jesus, and I realized that I'm made whole by him, not by the relationship I am in or not in. I once thought that the only important thing in life was to earn money and live in the biggest house and have the coolest job and drive the newest car. But now I know God's grace is enough for me. And that's all I need. And everything else is a perk. Tell God's story by telling your story. He can take a persecutor of the church and he can turn them into the greatest Christian missionary to ever live. He can take a slave trader and turn him into an abolitionist. And he can take your story and he can flip the script on your life and he can make you turn around and go, wow, I'm glad I did that. God is good. Those are the first two things. Give God your story. Tell God's story by uh, telling your story. And the last one is this. I, I, I'll give it to you and then I'll explain it. It's be the spark. Be the spark. But i got to explain that. We've been calling this teaching series When God Sparks a Movement. Uh, I'm an outdoorsman. I love being outside. I spent all day outside yesterday. Uh, loved it. It was beautiful. And I love uh, camping. It's one of my favorite things. I love to backpack. I love to hike. I love to just camp somewhere. I love to pretend I'm camping just if I have 10 minutes to sit outside. And because my favorite part about camping is the fire right? I mean, I just love the fire. It is the backbone of a good campsite. If you don't have a fire, you're not camping, all right? This is, this is the backbone. It, it is where, it's where community happens. It's where conversation happens. It's where warmth happens. It's where nourishment takes place. It's where entertainment happens. I could watch a fire. I, I get bored of Netflix before I get bored of watching a fire, right? Fire. It's, it's awesome. The fire is there. And so I love the fire. Uh, and I pride myself on being able to light a fire with just one match, I love it, uh, and I'm sure my wife hates it when I'm like, hey, look, it's a good fire in it. She's like, yes, it's a good fire. Wood burns. Congratulations. Um, but I love it. And so this summer, uh, I was working with my son. Yes, my son's nine years old, and he can light a fire all by himself. I think that's a valuable manly trait that every young man should learn. And very womanly, too. My six-year-old daughter is almost there where she can do it by herself, too. But this summer, um, uh, I was uh, helping my son. I was showing him about starting a fire with flint and stone, which is very difficult. If you've ever tried it? Like, that's caveman stuff. Like I'm saying, God invented lighters. Let's use them. Um, but uh, I was just showing, like, it's possible. And here's the coolest thing, other than blowing their minds. Um, I finally got one going, and, and, and it's so cool because it only takes a little bitty spark to land in just the right spot. And then you bring it to life. 
and you bring it to life, and it becomes this thing. And you remember all the things that the campfire is. It's community, it's socialization, it's warmth, it's, it's where the food takes place, it's where you can have all your entertainment. All of that happens, how? From a spark. A tiny little spark in just the right place at just the right time. It only takes a spark. And then the flame gets going, and then it spreads, and that light will burn bright. And Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. And I think sometimes we get so worried because we're worried because we're not a spotlight and, and, and we're, not a, we're not a lighthouse. And honestly, I think you are, but you don't think you are. But listen, sometimes all it takes is a spark to show someone that there's hope, to show someone that they can have community and socialization, to show someone that they can get the nourishment that they need, to show someone that the entertainment that they're looking for is not what they're looking at. Sometimes all it takes is a spark, and Jesus says, you are the light of the world, so get to sparking. Get out there. Tell your story. You have no idea what it might do to somebody's life. God did what with you? (laughs) Really? (sighs) I'd given up. I'd given up, or I haven't even tried yet. You know, the book of Acts is where God sparked of movement, and that movement is the church. And as that church grew and grew and grew, all throughout it, the spark continued to spread. As people, one, let God have their story, two, told his story by telling their story, and in the same way, the church grew and grew in power. And as we wrap up this series today, I, I want to give you a challenge. In fact, I want it to be a battle cry for our church community right here, and this is it. I want to be able to say, I am the spark. I am the spark. That I can look back on my life and know what God has done for me, and I can say, I want to spark that in your life. And I want us to be a community of people who say, we are in this city to shine the light of Jesus and to send sparks out into all the areas that might be able to receive it. I am the spark. Guys, if that's you today, will you say it with me? Let's say it right now. I am the spark. And I don't want you to just forget this, because I I know how it is. Like, sometimes I forget my own sermons. That happens a lot. They're like, when you told that story the other day, and I'm like, I do not remember telling that story. I don't want this to be another series that we just forget because it was good and encouraging at the moment. I want it to be something that continues to grow and continues to stay in our life. And so actually, in a few minutes, as you leave, we've got a gift for you. Something that I want every one of you, one per family at least, to take home and have in your life. I got it over here if I can get to it. It's a piece of art. This one's framed. Sorry, we didn't get everybody frames. But uh, they got them at Walmart, Target, etc. Um, and if you can see it, it's actually up on the screen here too. You can see it. You see all the words from the series. Weight, hope, or boldness, persecution, transformation, inclusion, accessible, testimony. But you see right there, right in the middle, it says, I am the spark. Because God has sparked a movement. And it's you. And I want to encourage you to take this piece of art, I want you to hang it in your home, put it in your living room, your dining room, in your hallway, in your bedroom, wherever it is that, that, uh, that you hang things in your house, maybe start a new place. And, and even better, hang it somewhere where someone might see it. Maybe you've got a, a, a business of your own and you can hang it in the lobby of where you work or in your office. One, so that you could look up there and say, I am the spark. I've got to remember that. And two, maybe somebody will see that and say, what is that? It's pretty cool. And you could say, well, actually, there's a story behind that. I once was blank, but now I'm blank. 
Because God is good. Jesus is real and he loves you. And your story can spark a change in someone's life to make them aware of God's grace, his love, his faithfulness. The greatest stories are the ones that you can feel like you're part of. And guess what? The story of Jesus from the book of Acts continues today through the church. The spark that God lit among those first Christians so many years ago continues to burn bright today because it changes people. And those people can't help but tell someone their story, to share the evidence, to give the testimony. I am the spark. Let's pray. God, I pray for the dark places of our city. I pray for the places where there's hurting, where there are uh, fatherless or motherless children, where there are uh, corrupt institutions, where there's poverty. Father, I pray for the places where there is evil and where there is sin. I pray for the, the gang violence that we've seen in the last couple of years here in our city where people are just killing each other and it's stupid. I pray for our nation as we face this yet another apocalyptic election where everybody's right and everybody's wrong. That at the end of the day, we can look into all of that and we can say the only light that brings any hope to our earth is your son, Jesus. And so I pray that he can come in and that he can bring healing, he can bring peace and he can bring wholeness in these communities and in these families, and in these neighborhoods, and in these places of business. Most of all, Lord, I pray for people in this room right now. For the person in this room who's thinking, I don't even know where I stand with God, and that was a pretty heavy message there. I don't even know where to go with it. Lord, that you'll help them know where to take that. Maybe they'll just stick around for a few more weeks and continue to grow with us. Lord, more than anything, help us to continue to spark your movement to live out that great commission that was shared in the very beginning pages of the book of Acts, that we go into the world, that we, we leave, start in Jerusalem and go to Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. May it continue. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.